my name is David, and most of you here have seen me at one point or another. I'm one of the pastors here, but I spend most of my time down in Dawson because I am the... I, I will dismiss the kids. I was just going to say something first. But yes, let's dismiss the kids. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> kids, you are dismissed. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. You are amazing. <laughs> So yes, we're planting a church down in, uh, in Dawson Creek called Creekside Fellowship. And so uh, many of you have been praying for that and many of you have been giving towards that end. And I wanted to say thank you and give you a little update this morning. So we have a couple pictures here of just some of the things that have been going on in the life of Creekside over the last little while in my family's life and in mine. I want you to throw up the first picture there. Uh, this is uh, some of the crew that helped us move in. We are fully moved in now uh, onto the property, settling in. It's been going very, very well, as many of you have been asking. So thank you so much for your prayers and safety through travel and all of those things. Uh, this last Saturday, we actually had a demo day. So the next picture. And uh, we're tearing up carpet and doing all kinds of things, trying to keep the cost of the renovation down as low as we can. We had almost, I think at one point, there was more than 45 people there helping, uh, which was amazing. And some of those were kids, and we didn't have that many injuries, which is great. <laughs> uh, but uh, we got an unbelievable amount done. It was a great time of, of working hard and fellowship and food. And, uh, and we even had one of the neighbors come out, and she was just asking, I don't understand how you have so many people here helping. Where are they all from? And I said, well, some are from Fort St. John, and, and some are from Dawson. And she just said, I, I just, I don't understand. <laughs> God is moving, even in the midst of our neighbors around the church, which has been really fun. And uh, the last picture here, uh, this last Sunday, we had our first launch team training time of, of worship and some teaching and, uh, and prayer and fellowship and food. So we all kind of cleaned out our house as clean as we could to get more than 40 people jammed in there. <laughs> it's easy to get to know people well when you're that close. So uh, it's an effective tool, but uh, it was an amazing time of worship and uh, I just wanted to show you a few of these updates to let you know kind of what's happening in the life of the church and primarily to say thank you. Thank you to each one of you here who's been praying for us and, uh, and many of you here who've been giving towards that end. It's, it's not possible without your generosity, so thank you. People are coming to know Jesus. They are encountering Jesus already in Dawson Creek. The kind of things that we have happening and seeing in my engagements with the people there, there is a people, a, a group here that you can see worshiping in that picture, we are working towards seeing Dawson Creek encounter the gospel in powerful ways. So I just wanted to say thank you to you. It's not possible without your support, so thank you. Now, as we uh, jump into the preach and our time together in the Word, I wanted to start off with a little, a little story of uh, just a few days ago, I was spending some time and uh, reading to my kids. And so I had one of those books, you know, that has like all the different types of animals in them. And so we were going through and I was reading, oh, look, there's, you know, the kangaroo. And we we're going through what the defenses of each animal was. Well, the kangaroo can kick and, oh, the deer can run really fast. And, you know, the chameleon can kind of blend into its surroundings and all these things. And we got to the sheep. And ugh, doesn't have a lot of defenses. It doesn't have a lot of defenses. The sheep is mostly defenseless, to be honest. It can't outrun its predators. It doesn't have claws or talons or, or venom or concealment or any of these sorts of things. It is mostly defenseless. It's entirely up to the shepherd to care for the sheep. And with that, it's, that's where John's going to take us in our text today. That idea, the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd is what's primary in our text today what John is going to focus on, and what Jesus is going to talk about. We're going to spend our time in John 
10, 1 through 21. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, that's where we're going to spend our time today. And you're going to see that there's, there's three different kind of misused or abused verses in our passage today, so we're going to try to bring some clarity to those. Uh, and we're going to see that there's three different word pictures that Jesus is going to bring up in our passage today. Three different sections between 1 and 21 in those verses that he's going to focus in on. So we're going to focus in on those three things. And we're going to do so with three different points this morning. One voice, one door, and one shepherd. One voice, one door, one shepherd. That's how we're going to spend our time. And uh, before we jump into the word, a wonderful word of God, let's give a little bit of context for what we're about to jump into. Right? If we want to understand our text, we want to make sure we understand uh, who it's being said to, who's saying it. So we're going to have Jesus speaking in our text today. And we're going to have him addressing the Pharisees. And we know that because if we just take one step back to last week when Pastor Andrew brought us through the blind man who was healed by Jesus. The blind man is healed and he comes and he becomes a worshiper of Jesus. And that's in contrast with the Pharisees who are pushing back. And Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are asking, Jesus, are we blind? Are we guilty? Can you explain a few of these things to us? Because we're not, we're not buying it entirely. And Jesus' response is, yeah, you don't see. You are guilty. You are rejecting me. And so now in our passage today, we're going to see Jesus begin to unpack for us how you become a sheep. Who are his sheep? So we're going to see that unpacked for us. And secondly, before we jump in, we just want to have a little bit of clarity around the ancient Near East practices around shepherding. Because if we're going to talk about sheep and shepherds, it's a little different than it was or than it is today. And so when it comes to sheep and the shepherds, uh, today we have more of the herding mentality. So you have some dogs and you have a shepherd behind and they're herding the sheep forward. But in Jesus' day, the shepherd was very closely tied to his sheep. And he would actually lead them. He'd walk in front of them, and the sheep would know his voice, and they would follow him. These are the practices of the day. The shepherd's task was all-day vigilance, was constant awareness, protection against predators, protection against the land itself, protection against thieves and robbers, and even protection against the sheep themselves. Because you see, sheep aren't maybe the smartest of animals, they don't have a lot of defenses, but they're also not necessarily the smartest. And so let's take a little video here, just quick, quick check, just to take a look at some of the wisdom of sheep. Let's, let's see, let's see what we got. Okay, yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, here it goes. Okay, there. Right, so that's a little bit humorous. Not the smartest animal around. The shepherd's always looking. Before we laugh too hard, let's remember, we're, we're, we're the sheep. We are the sheep, right? We, we, we are the sheep, and that might be a little offensive for us. I don't want to be that. That doesn't represent me very well. But if I'm honest with myself, how many times in my life have I been bouncing into things here and there, blindly trying to find my way through this life, 
And what I really need is a shepherd to take the bag off my head. Or how many times have I fallen into sin in some way? And Jesus pulls me on out of the place that I've found myself, and I only jump right back in for some reason. I think the similarities are maybe more apt than we like to, we like to admit. We are the sheep. And it's a picture that is consistently brought forward in Scripture over and over again. It's so pervasive. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, Psalm 23. We could go through so many passages. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to jump into one of the primary passages about the good shepherd. So, with that understanding, let's jump into our first point. One voice and our first portion of text here. John 10, 1 through 6 is what we're going to jump through in this point. We're going to do so kind of in sections so we can help, help uh, understand what Jesus is getting at, all right? So let's jump through our first section here. This is John 10, 1 through 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. So it's mentioned here the sheepfold. The sheepfold. So what, what is the sheepfold? Well, often what would happen in a particular town or a particular village, you would have a collection of shepherds, and they'd all be in from that particular village, and they'd get, get together, and together they'd pool their resources, and they'd build a, a, a sheepfold, and it would be of rocks, and it would be about eight feet tall, and they'd build that up, and there would be one entrance at the front. And in that one entrance at the front, uh, they would put their sheep, they'd all kind of herd them in, or they would follow them in, rather. And what would happen is they would collectively pay a gatekeeper to watch the sheep overnight. So the shepherds wouldn't have to be there all throughout the night as well as through the day. They would be able to pool their resources, hire a gatekeeper. So that's the gatekeeper that's being spoken of here. And it's clear, Jesus is clear as he's speaking, that the gatekeeper knows the shepherds. Anyone who tries to get in any other way is a thief or a robber, but the gatekeeper knows the shepherds, and he alone allows the shepherds in to see his sheep. Let's keep going. Verse 3. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So the sheep hear the voice. Now that text I know many of us have heard many times that his sheep hear his voice. And often it's used incorrectly. It's used in a way to say, hey, in this life, we're supposed to hear the voice of God on a continual basis. Not from the word. We're supposed to audibly hear it. Or we're supposed to hear it in some sort of way from a dream or from a vision. Or he's supposed to say, there's some prophetic river we're supposed to tap into to constantly be in communion with God in some audible way. But that's not what this text is speaking of at all. It's talking about salvation. The text here, John, what Jesus is saying, it's speaking about his sheep who are his. It's the call to salvation. It's the voice that every one of you who are here who is a Christian, you've followed that voice, followed that shepherd. This is what's being spoken of. It's the call unto salvation. It's the opening of the eyes, and he calls us by name. The shepherd knows the sheep so well that he's calling the sheep by name. I don't know what all those names are. You know, it's Spotty and Muddy and Jehoshaphat or, or whatever the names might be, but he knows them so well 
He knows them by name, and they know his voice, and they follow. This is about salvation. And Jesus is going to be even more clear as we continue on that that's the fact in verse 9. He's going to, be, he's going to say this is about being saved. Let's continue in our text here. Verse 4 and 5. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Again, John is laying out here. Jesus is laying out here. The theology of salvation. How does somebody come to know God? How does somebody become a sheep? They are called by the shepherd. This is salvation that's being spoken of. To be a sheep. The pen here is Israel. And Jesus is calling out his own, out of Israel, to all those who would come. And we just saw it last week. Pastor Andrew brought us through the blind man who Jesus approached. And he becomes a worshiper of Jesus. And in contrast, we see the Pharisees saying, no, we're not interested. Some of the sheep are left in the pen. And he's calling out his own. This is what the first word picture we're we're wrestling through is talking about. And Jesus makes this even more clear in verse 26, which is, we're not going to get to today. Pastor Andrew will bring that up next week. But in verse 26, Jesus is unmistakably clear on the same topic. He says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now that order is really important. What he's not saying is, you are not among my sheep because you don't believe. He's saying that you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. It's not the believing that comes first. It's the sheepness that comes first. Jesus is the one who calls you out. He's the one that opens the eyes of the blind. He's the one that calls you forward. It is his work. And our call is to believe, but it's because we are his sheep that he has called us. And I know this brings up all kinds of tricky questions. I know it does. How do, we, how do we deal with this? To do with God's sovereignty and his ordaining the things that will come to pass? And how do we link that in some way with human responsibility, our responsibility to respond to the gospel? How do those things perfectly come into play? Well, his ways are higher than ours. And scripture is very comfortable allowing those two realities. The fact that he calls his sheep. It's not our work, it's his. And the fact that we are responsible for believing and putting our trust in Jesus. And where scripture allows for that tension, we must allow for that tension. It's a wonderful and beautiful reality, in fact. And if you're a Christian here, it's not because you're smarter, and it's not because you're wiser, and it's not because you are in any way better. It is because your eyes were opened by God. It's because you heard the voice and you followed. It's because he changed your desires of your heart. It is his work. Ephesians 2.8, Paul is clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We can't say, yeah, I'm a Christian, look at me. No, it's entirely the work of God. Verses 1 through 5, that Jesus has just laid out here, they're about relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. 
a relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. That's what's being focused on here by Jesus. Jesus hasn't even identified himself as the good shepherd yet. In this first word picture, he's just showing the relationship that exists between the two. And he's saying, it is the shepherd that calls the sheep, not the sheep that call the shepherd. The shepherd knows the sheep so well that he knows them by name and he protects them and he watches over them. And as he calls for them, they answer, they follow him because they know his voice. And it is only his voice that they follow. This brings up questions right off the bat for us in this text. The question, the first one is, are we following the voice of Jesus? Is, is he the one that we're following in our lives? Or have we become distracted in some specific way? Uh, myself, I, I was just recently on kind of the property that we had bought, uh, going through some of the forest back there and kind of exploring. And on my way back, I was, okay, which way am I going? Oh, there, there we go. There, that's the house. I can kind of see it through the trees. And so I start walking in that direction. And as I was going, I, you know, was looking at the ground and looking for, oh, is there an antler around or what can I find? And about for about five or ten minutes of kind of exploring and looking around, I kind of popped my head up and realized I was in a completely different area. I was not where I was trying to get. The house was in a totally different area. I hadn't kept my eyes on where I was trying to go. I hadn't actually followed on the path that I was trying to go because I'd been busied by the things at my feet and I'd lost my way. I think there's some truth in that for us. If, if today we can just take a moment right now in our lives just to, to pop our heads up and just, just survey our lives, our family, our work life, schooling, whatever it might be. Are, are, we, are we still following Jesus? Are we following his voice? Or have we been so busied with the things of life, the things right at our feet that we've kind of been focusing on those and now we've lost track of where we are? We need to get our bearings again. Let's be honest with ourselves this morning of where we're at. Jesus goes on as he's filling out these word pictures for us. And John says that uh, in verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand. The Pharisees did not understand. And so now Jesus is going to switch word pictures for us. It's still a similar theme, but he's going to switch it just a bit to help bring some clarity among what he's talking about. So let's jump into that, our, our second point, one door, in our next portion of text, text John 10, 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So now Jesus switches and he says, now he's the door. He is the door. So what, what does he mean by this? That's the first thing we should be asking. Well, we talked about that kind of community sheepfold. But sometimes the shepherd would, for a variety of reasons, have his own specific sheepfold. And when he did, often he wouldn't have the funds to be able to hire a gatekeeper. And so he himself would sleep in the crook of the door. He would literally be the door between the predators that wanted to take the sheep, and he would sleep in the door protecting his own sheep. 
That's the image that Jesus has now brought us into, slightly different than the first image, slightly different than that first word picture. And the shepherd would actually be out with the pasture, uh, be out with the sheep in the pasture, and he'd be bringing them to rivers, and they'd be doing all the things that sheep do. And then he'd bring them back in the evening to protect them from the predators, and he'd put his rod over the opening. And a sheep would come up to want to enter into the sheepfold. And his rod would be there. And he would inspect every single one of the sheep, one by one. And he'd look, okay, is there any wounds, any disease, any infection? And once he'd looked after that sheep, he'd raise his rod, and the sheep would come through. And then he'd lower his rod, and he'd do the same to the next one, caring for his sheep. We get a wonderful picture of this in Ezekiel 20, where Ezekiel himself He says, his sheep will pass under his rod. It's just a wonderful picture of us coming into the protection of God, of our shepherd through the door that is Jesus. And in verse 8, he mentions thieves and robbers. So we should ask the question, who are the thieves and robbers? Who are the thieves and the robbers? What's this represent? And as we look at this, we can see quite clearly Uh, They are false teachers, false shepherds, false leaders that are taking the people of God, taking the sheep and removing them from that fold. And people argue, commentators argue, okay, well, is it, uh, is Jesus speaking directly to the people who have come prior, before him, as far as time is concerned? Or or are they talking about uh, those who stand before him? But either way, it's the teachers, it's the false teachers, false messiahs, false shepherds, false leaders who are taking people away from truth. This is who the thieves and the robbers are. And it's very important. We see in Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6, we see what happens to the sheep when they do not have a shepherd who is good, who cares for them. So let's read this here from Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains, on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. We need a shepherd. When the shepherds that are over us do not lead well in a godly fashion, we are scattered. We need a good shepherd. And in verse 10, which we just read, we get clarity on what the thieves and the robbers lead to. What, what, what does it lead to? If you're a thief and a robber, what do you do? And it says that they steal, they kill, and they destroy. And this text often is used to be linked to Satan, that that's what Satan does. And it's not wrong. Yes, Satan wants to harm the people of God, so it's, it's not a wrong thing to say. But that's not what this text is speaking about. 
This is about false teachers, false shepherds, who are leading the people of God astray. It says they steal because they're taking that which is not their own. It says they kill. More accurately, what that word is is actually slaughtered. You see, when the thief would jump over the wall in to take a sheep, he would, it's quite difficult when the sheep is moving all over the place and fighting back to get it over that wall. And so he would slit its throat and allow the blood to drain out, and then he would throw it over for the meat and for the wool. The thief slaughters the sheep, and he destroys, which has an eternal implication. It's not just for a moment. It is for all time. And that's contrasted with Jesus. Jesus, in the next verse, says, well, he doesn't steal. He owns the sheep. These are his sheep that he cares for. He doesn't kill. He doesn't slaughter. He brings life, the text says. He doesn't destroy. He brings life abundantly, eternally, forevermore. You can see that stark contrast. It could not be more clear. And it could not be more clear in what's happening in the background of what's being spoken. The blind man is healed. He comes to Jesus. He worships Jesus. And the Pharisees want nothing to do with Jesus. You can see the contrast right there in the backdrop of what is being spoken. Jesus' words could not be more clear. He is the door. He is the only way to God the Father, to safety, to protection forevermore. He is the one door. He is the one door. And I know that in our current age, that's not a popular thing to have an exclusive claim that our world pushes back against it and says, we don't want anything to do with that. Everyone has their own truth. But that doesn't, not only doesn't make sense, it doesn't adhere to reality, it doesn't adhere to logic, and it doesn't adhere to the Word of God. There is one door. Jesus is that door to everlasting life. We might ask the question, why is Jesus the only way? That's offensive. Why could Jesus be the only way? Why didn't God make a myriad of different ways that we could come to him? Well, we don't get to set the standard. We are not God. He is, and he is perfect, and he is holy, and he is loving and gentle and kind and patient beyond our wildest imaginations, but he is also just, perfectly just. And so why is Jesus the only way? It's because we are rebellious, and every one of us, if we look at our lives, has to admit that we are sinners that have rejected God. And for us to stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God would be annihilation. We would be killed. His holiness would consume us. He is perfect. And so the only way we can stand before a holy and righteous God is if someone takes the punishment for us. It's the only way. This is why Jesus is the one door. It is only because he took the punishment that should have been ours. That he hung on that cross. That his blood was shed for us. So that now when we stand before a holy and righteous God, looking to enter into paradise with him forevermore, he does not look upon us and see our rebellion. He looks upon us and sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ who bore our sin. This is why he is the only door and why he is the only way. There are so many thieves 
so many robbers, false teachers, false paths in this life. And they promise so much. So many worldly things that would promise so much, but never deliver. They never deliver life abundance. It just doesn't end that way. There is one door. There is one. We can talk about false religions. We can talk about spirituality in a general sense. We can talk about science and knowledge somehow solving everyone's issues. That it will somehow be our salvation if we just learn enough. Or the social movements, if we just treat each other good enough, then the world will become perfect. But we can do it on our own. We could talk about entertainment and success, popularity and pleasure and all the things that we're drawn to in this life. Maybe this will be the answer. Maybe this will be what the longing of my heart moves towards. Maybe this will answer what the questions I've had. Maybe this will bring life and it never does. It leaves us empty and seeking something more. There is one door and it is Jesus Christ. He alone brings life. He alone is the good shepherd. Which is where Jesus goes next in our last point here. One shepherd in our last portion of text. John 10, 11 through 21. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay, down, lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And there was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, there are not words, these are not words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Once again, we see people wrestling with, okay, well, it's Jesus. Is he divine or is he demonic? And Pastor Andrew is going to touch on that more next week. But here we see the, the word picture switch again. Now Jesus is not the door. He is now the good shepherd. He makes that abundantly clear. And if you've been with us for a while, walking through the book of John, you'll, you'll hear that I am statement and recognize this is a statement of divinity. That he is God himself. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. And we see a hired hand come to the forefront so the hired hand is supposed to look after the sheep. He's been hired by the shepherd. And a wolf comes into the scene. 
and wants to devour the sheep. And the only thing standing between the wolf and the sheep is this hired hand. And the wolf is going to attack this hired hand to get to the sheep. And the hired hand flees because they're not his sheep. And uh, the text doesn't even condemn that. It doesn't even say that the hired hand is, is, you know, off his rocker and he's done the wrong thing. He just says, they're not his sheep. Why would he die for them? But the good shepherd, they are his sheep. And he will and has laid down his life for them. And in verse 14 and 15, we get an astounding statement. It's easily missed. Jesus says that the same kind of relationship that the Father has to the Son, that is the kind of relationship the sheep have with the shepherd. That's astounding. Do you you hear that? That's an amazing statement. That the kind of relationship the Father has with the Son for all eternity, that that closeness is possible between the sheep and the shepherd. And this is why we need to push back against the idea that Christianity is just a bunch of rules. It's just some moral code. And I heard it said recently, someone said, that people are inoculated to the gospel. They think they've experienced the gospel because they've adhered to some moral code for a moment, because they went to church when they were younger, because on and on it goes, they've experienced some aspect of Christianity, of cultural Christianity, because they hung out with Christians for a while, because they obeyed certain commandments at some particular point. But that's not knowing and being cared for by the Good Shepherd. Relationship. Knowing and loving the good shepherd and him knowing and loving you and following his voice. This is relationship. It is deep. So much so that apparently it can be as close as the father and the son. That should astound us. It's an amazing thing. And Jesus says, he goes on to say that that there's other sheep in other folds that he needs to bring. There's other sheep outside of this. Yes, right now he's drawing out of Israel those who are his own. But that there's others. And this text also gets taken out of context so many different ways. Saying that, oh, see, Jesus is going to save people from other dimensions. And from and aliens are coming. And you just wait till you get to heaven. That's not what the text is saying. If we look at it again in context, what do we see? He's speaking to the Pharisees. So when he says that there are other sheep, he's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the non-Jewish people. And this is something that we should all rejoice in. Because it's this reality that allows most of us here to be able to be sitting in relationship with Jesus. You see, Christianity is unique. It doesn't have some specific place in the world that is the holy site. It doesn't have some place you need to take a pilgrimage to or that you have to pray in a particular direction It doesn't have any of those things. It's not for a specific type of group of people or some ethnicity or some race. It's none of it. Christianity is for all peoples for all time. Jewish and non-Jewish, it doesn't matter. Jesus saves and he calls his sheep into one flock under one shepherd. Israel, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. For all nations, for all tongues, this is the promise of Christ. And we can see this if we just look at the, at the history of Christianity. It starts in the Middle East and then and kind of shifts into Asia a bit and a bit into Africa and then, and then begins to shift over into the West, which is why you and I know Jesus. And then now it's shifted significantly back into Asia and Africa. 
And they're sending missionaries to us saying, you've lost your way. We are in no way the center of Christianity anymore. Not even close. For all nations, for all tongues, all one shepherd, or one flock under one shepherd. And then he goes on to say something even more astounding. That he lays down his life only to take it back up again. Now, I think if, we, if we're honest, we'd say, yeah, a good shepherd lays, lays his life down for a sheep, right? A good shepherd. We can look at the shepherds all over the Old Testament. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, all of them shepherds that looked after their sheep. Both literally and figuratively over the people of God. He looks after them. And they would be willing. We have stories of like David putting his life on the line to protect his sheep. That's a good shepherd. The problem is that when the shepherd perishes, the sheep are defenseless. If the shepherd puts his life on the line and then he dies, the sheep are scattered, they are defenseless, they will be killed by predators, stolen thieves and robbers. But it's not the case with Jesus with our good shepherd. Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus isn't just a good shepherd. He is the only good shepherd. He is the one shepherd, the one shepherd with the authority to not only lay his life down to protect his sheep, but to take it back up again, that his sheep may have life forevermore, that they might be protected forevermore. He is the only one that can make this claim. He's the only one who is actually able to accomplish it because the Father has given this authority to his Son alone to be able to take up his life once again and to be able to continue to care for his sheep, give life abundance to his sheep. It is only found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only Messiah, the only Christ. He is the only one who is faithful to the very end, who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. It is only found in your good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you haven't made that commitment, then I plead with you, please, may today be the day of your salvation. May today be the day in which you turn from your rebellion against God, turn from your sin, turn from trying to find life in all the places of this world, and find life in Jesus. Put your trust in him above all else, for he alone can offer life that this world can never offer. It is found in him alone. Today can be the day of your salvation. May today be the day. That today, right now, you might be lost, but you can be found. This is what you were created for. To know God. Intimately, closely, not just some set of rules, but that you would know his voice, that you would follow him, and that he would know you by name. And if you're a Christian here, which I know most of us are, then your response should be to rejoice. Rejoice. 
to rejoice. Not just inwardly, but maybe try putting a smile on your face. <laughs> to raise your hands and say, hallelujah, I am saved. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was dead, and now I've come to life because of Jesus Christ, my good shepherd. Not because of what I have done, but entirely because of what he has done. It is all him. It is all him. He alone is the one who calls whose voice is worth following. He alone is the door that all who pass through will find life abundant. And he alone is the good shepherd who gave his life up and rose again that we may have life eternally. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. I thank you for this text. I thank you for what it helps us see. That you are so good that you did not leave us in our rebellion. That you didn't leave us in our sin. But because of your great love, Jesus Christ came that we might be saved. Lord, would you help us to see that? Help us to know it as a reality, not something we take for granted, but to realize that we were entirely lost and could not find our way. But you sought us out. You left the 99 and sought out the one and threw us on your shoulders and brought us back to the fold because you are good and you are our shepherd and you are filled with love and kindness and care for your sheep. I thank you for these truths. Would you embed them deep in our hearts this morning? Would it be something that we reflect on in the coming days? And would we live it out in the coming weeks that those around us may see and know the gospel of Jesus Christ? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.